While everyone is excited about the Black Panther premiere in the land of Wakanda, let's talk about the real African empires that changed world history. Simply incredible. Welcome to Podcasting Nubia. The Black Panther premiered Monday night in LA, and it was uh, it was an incredible event. They uh, they replaced the red carpet with a purple carpet. All of the celebrities came out, and it was gorgeous. It was incredible. Uh, from all of the reviews, the movie is going to be spectacular. So that is something to celebrate. But one moment on the purple carpet stood out to me that I think we should talk about. For the continent of Africa. Well, this movie is going to deal with a myth that if the white colonialists did not land in Africa, we'd still be walking in skins and chasing each other. This movie will prove we built the pyramids in Egypt. We'll prove the Timbuktu libraries of the history of mankind is in Africa. We'll prove that the Zimbabwe ruins were built by us. We'll prove that the cradle of humankind is in Southern Africa. So this is one time where African people are shown at the fullest potential when they are able to travel from space and back with incredible technology. Now for me that was an incredible moment because the topic of African empires doesn't get a lot of coverage. It doesn't get a lot of mainstream uh, attention. So to have a major star in a major movie on a broadcast that was going out to millions of people all over the world talking about some of the great African empires uh, that changed world history, that was an incredible moment for me. Uh, so I wanted to play that for you and uh, use that as a jumping off point for us to dive right into the topic of African empires. That was actor John Connie, and he was referring to several things. He was referring to the Great Zimbabwe Ruins, uh, which were one fantastic empire. Uh, he also referred to black Africans building the pyramids, uh, which generally speaking most people immediately think of Egypt. But there are actually more pyramids in traditional Nubian territory in the Sudan. Because besides Egypt, the empire situated on the Nile, there was another great empire 
along the banks of the Nile River, and that was the Empire of Kush, the Nubian Kushite Empire, who built more pyramids than the Egyptians, and at one time commanded the largest empire in the world. You know, Afrocentric scholars spend a lot of time talking about Egypt, and I think that's a mistake. Because the more time we spend arguing about Egypt, the less time we're spending talking about Egypt's southern neighbor, who was just as powerful, just as wealthy, and just as incredible as Egypt itself. So I feel like we should spend more time talking about the Nubian Empire, the Sudanese Empire, the empire that once held sway over vast swaths of the world. My book, Nubia, The Rise and Fall of African Empires, is named after that empire, although it covers numerous other civilizations in Africa. But I realize that Egypt is captivated the imagination of the world, so we can't, we can't run away from talking about it. I just don't think that our conversations should be dictated by always referring to Egypt. But the relationship between the two is incredibly interesting. Egypt in the north and Kush or Nubia, sometimes you'll hear it referred to as Kerma in the south, they were trading partners. Uh, at times they were enemies, and at times they were unified as one kingdom. So we'll start back from the beginning. And I think it's actually best to start at a point in history where the Nubians conquered Egypt for the first time. It actually happened multiple times. So in 1575, 1550 BC, around there, the, the Nubians led a huge army that swept through Egypt. Now, we don't know why this war occurred. We don't know what precipitated it. We don't know much of anything, really. What we do know is that the Nubians led a huge coalition army, lots of different ethnic groups, lots of different cultures, and then they swept through Egypt at a time when Egypt was at a relative height in power. Now, the Egyptians, like a lot of people of their time, were prone to erasing embarrassing moments from their history. So we only know about this event from the tomb of Sobeknat. He was the governor of El Kab, and he wrote about the event in his tomb. It's, it's depicted in his tomb primarily because he wanted to brag. He wanted to boast about all he did to protect his community uh, from the Nubians who were attacking. We also know about the event because of numerous Egyptian artifacts that are found in Nubian territory. They were taken as emblems of victory over the Egyptian people. So it's, a, it's an incredible event. It's very momentous in history. But it wasn't the first time the Egyptians and the Nubians would go to war. They fought fairly regularly. Uh, taking turns ruling over each other. The 
conquest by the Nubians was so traumatic for the Egyptian people that the Pharaoh Tutmos the first he would obsess about it and he would become intent on taking back Nubian territory and he did that in 1504 that was uh, actually uh, the first year of his uh, of his reign his coronation and so he conquered the Nubians taking more territory than any Egyptian pharaoh before him and the result of that was that the Egyptians ruled the Nubians for 500 years after that and that's an incredibly interesting period because what you have is the Egyptians who are ruling over the Nubians but it's more of a cooperative venture than I think the term conquest might convey uh, there are marriages between the royal lineages um, there are Egyptian ceremonies conducted in Nubian territories the Egyptians place in leadership positions uh, local Nubians to rule uh, over the, the population and Nubia which was the source of gold Nubia is actually named after the Egyptian word for gold uh, became a feature in uh, the Egyptian economy so the Nubians become intertwined in Egyptian administration and life they work in court they are dignitaries uh, they are slaves uh, but they go on to master the, the habits of Egyptian administration so what comes out of that is this very Egyptianized Nubian culture and when you look at Nubia and you look at Egypt they will look like twin cultures they will look very very similar this, many of the same deities many of the same uh, much of the same decor they look like twin cultures pyramids all of that so for 500 years the Egyptians rule over the Nubians and then in around 1070 BC the Nubians overthrow the Egyptians and they go on to establish their capital at a city called Napata now Napata is a it was a mountain region and there was a, a sort of ceremonial cobra carved into the mountain uh, and on top of the mountain there was also a palace or not a palace I should say uh, more of a of a, a temple for worship and the Nubians rule from their capital for close to 300 years and then during that time the Egyptian Empire begins to collapse the Egyptians stop practicing many of their religious ceremonies and their architecture begins to decline they stop the upkeep of their monuments and the culture itself just begins to fall apart and so the Egyptians look to the Nubians to reinstate many of those practices they practically invite the, the, the Nubians back into Egypt to rule them because the Nubian pharaohs were accustomed to maintaining all of the traditional religious ceremonies and all of the, the traditional habits of old Egyptian culture.
and they needed to reinstate that to resurrect the greatness of the empire so in 725 BC the Nubian Pharaoh Paye conquers Egypt now this is an incredible story because it's not as simple as a, a, a military adventure Paye and his family had been extending their political reach into Egypt for quite a while uh, Paye's father uh, Paye is also called Pianki uh, but Paye's father King Kashta King Kashta created an alliance with Shepanupet the high priest of Egypt and the high priest adopted his daughter and named her as the successor to the high priestess and this gave the Paye family considerable influence in Egypt so in 725 727 BC when Paye decides to conquer it's not as a military adventure it's as deliverance he's he he calls himself the deliverer he's coming to rescue Egyptian culture and so he portrays himself that as that he markets himself as a as a savior of sorts and he defeats several local rulers at that point it's not really appropriate to call them pharaohs or kings uh, but he defeats them and he establishes Nubian rule over Egypt and that becomes what's known to historians as the 25th dynasty now in conquering Egypt the Nubians are effectively creating the largest empire in the world and they do a lot for Egypt they you know a lot of us will go on vacation to Egypt and will think of Egypt uh, as purely Egyptian you'll go to all of the uh, famous tourist sites and it's not always going to be pointed out to you the Nubian role in preserving and protecting and building some of those sites so if you ever have the fortune of going to Egypt and you visit Memphis or Karnak or Kawa or Jebel Barkal which is one of the most famous sites in Egypt you should understand that you're looking at Nubian heritage black heritage because without the Nubians many of those sites would not have existed we really can't speculate about how much of Egyptian culture would have continued to disintegrate and fall apart and be forgotten by history but what we can say is that without the Nubians without their southern neighbors Egypt would have continued its decline now the now the Nubian conquest of Egypt doesn't last forever um, close to a century there are several Nubian pharaohs Paye rules and then his brother Shabaka Pianki rules and then he's followed by his brother Shabaka and then Sheptiku and then finally Taharka who was considered by all to be the greatest Nubian Pharaoh ever he's buried in the largest pyramid he has some of the most robust interaction internationally and so that leaves a host of records for us he's written about in the Bible and so 
we have a wealth of information to work with. The Nubians were allies with Israel, they were allies with the Phoenicians, they were allies and protectors of the Palestinian people, and most importantly they were enemies to the Assyrian Empire. Now the Assyrians were one of the greatest empires in world history, but they're also one of the most infamous empires in human history. Uh, historians like to say that they bathed the world in blood because they were vicious, they were unrelenting, and Taharqa faced them on numerous occasions. The Nubians made a habit of supporting oppressed people. Uh, anyone that was sort of engaged in a freedom fight. Now mostly this was to to gain influence and allies, uh, but the, 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 the Nubians were a stumbling block for the Assyrians. The Assyrians were trying to extend their reach over mo most of the Middle East, uh, over Israel, over the Palestinian territories, and the Nubians would serve as a supportive force for those groups. One king in particular in Assyria, Sennacherib, was attempting to conquer all of Israel. And so this is written about actually uh, in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah. And so he brings his army to the gates of Israel to conquer. And the Nubian pharaoh Taharqa rides out to the defense of his ally Israel. And so the Nubian pharaoh Taharqa rides out to the defense of his ally Israel. And the sources become conflicting because according to the Assyrians, they, they wiped the floor with Taharqa. But according to the Nubians, Taharqa defeated the Assyrians. And all we really know about the event is that at the end of it, most of Sennacherib's army was dead. In the Bible, um, actually in uh, verses 36 and 37 in the book of Isaiah, it says, Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. And largely this is, this is true. This is precisely what happened. Uh, the army of the Assyrians died under some s mysterious circumstances. We don't really know if the Nubians climbed the mountains and then rained arrows down on the camp. We don't know if they engaged them directly. We don't know if the Assyrian army died of disease and for whatever reason simply withdrew. What we do know is that the Nubians came to the aid of Israel and in, the, in, in an attempt to rescue King Hezekiah from the Assyrians. And we know that that, we know that, that continues. Now, Sennacherib is followed by his son, Esharden. And Esharden writes about his battles with Taharqa. And he brags about it. He brags about his status. Esharden uh, uh, said once, I am powerful. I am all powerful. I am without equal among kings. And as much as he says that, you kind of get the impression that Taharqa is really getting to him. In 679 BC, 
as Hardin was able to subdue the Palestinians and he was able to subdue Judea, most of it. And then in 677, he continued that persecution over the Arab tribes near the Dead Sea. But Taharqa was able to defeat him. And then in 674, as Hardin attempted to invade Egypt, and he was again beaten by Taharqa. And so you have to put this into, into context. The Assyrians were one of history's greatest empires. Their army was legendary. So any defeat over an adversary this incredible tells you a lot about the standing of the Nubians and of the unified empire that they created. Now eventually, as Hardin is successful, he, he defeats Taharqa, he takes Egypt, and he expels Taharqa and most of the Nubians in Egypt. There's a little bit of a back and forth. Taharqa tries again, his successor tries again, and, and both of those attempts meet with some limited success. They do take Egypt again. But ultimately, Taharqa is sent into retirement. He returns to uh, traditional Nubian territory. He erects the largest Nubian pyramid ever. And he and all the other successive Nubian pharaohs continued to rule from Napata. And so that's just the beginning of the story. Uh, in our next episode, we'll, we'll, we'll go on to talk about the continuation of the Nubian Empire. And we'll talk about the Black Queen who went to war with Rome and won. If you enjoy hearing these stories, you can read more about Nubian Empire's Black Kingdoms, Black Civilization in my book, Nubia, The Rise and Fall of African Empires, available on Amazon. And you can tune into this podcast every week for more stories, more incredible intersections between African civilization and our modern world.